I'm Jeff Gibson. And I'm Shanna Paxton. And we are the, the movie, movie lovers. lovers. Welcome. Hello. To the official podcast of the Gibson Review. In every episode, we start off with the weekend review. What shows and movies we have been watching since the last episode move on to the main event, which is a main topic of discussion or a main review, and then finish up with film faves, our respective list of our 12 favorite movies around a particular topic, often marching backwards through time. In this episode, it'll be a little bit different. This is a bonus episode when we're recording our week in review. We realize we had so much to talk about that it's better off to just parse this out as a bonus episode and save the rest for our regularly scheduled regular episode. So this is the week in review segment focusing on uh, DC movies and Oscars and Oscar-related movies. And then in a few days, you'll get the proper episode where we'll be reviewing Birds of Prey and talking about our favorite DC movies. So this is a nice little primer leading up to that. Hope you enjoy. Uh, But first, oh, I have a correction to make. I did a dumb thing. We were talking about Tenet in our previous episode. And I misspoke saying that Denzel Washington's son who stars in Tenet, his name is David Isaiah Washington. I basically congealed two names of famous African-American actors into one. It's actually John David Washington and not David Isaiah Washington. So my bad. Apologies. Uh, for that moving right along shanna you have actually watched stuff so tell us about your week in review yeah so it was a very interesting two weeks for me and uh, i got to check out netflix things that's always fun one movie that i got to watch on netflix is a documentary called heal h-e-a-l as in heal your body The film opens with a group of people talking about their chronic and undiagnosed illnesses or mystery illnesses, as they call it. Uh, Usually it comes with a rash and they can't really figure out why the rash is happening. The woman leading this documentary goes on a journey talking to different scientists and healers that especially talk about healing from the mind out. So there's a cup there's I think there's two people that are in the secret are in this film. They make an appearance. I learned about this film from following one of my favorite doctors out there, Dr. Kelly Brogan, who wrote A Mind of Her Own, What Women Can Do About Depression That Big Pharma Can't. That's her book. That's the mm. whole title. So that's how I found out about it. One person is featured with how they disciplined their mind in healing their spine in six weeks. Uh, for six weeks, they they focused on this mind shift, and uh, it was for three straight hours. He would imagine con- reconstructing his vertebrae. So very intensive visualization. I don't know. Have you ever tried visualizing on one focused thing for a length of time, over and over again? I mean. Preparing for the podcast, maybe. Um, <laughs> I mean, bring about something. Yeah, sure. In my entrepreneur days, okay. uh, certainly. But are, is this thing claiming that a guy fixed his vertebrae just by thinking really hard? No, about there's it? obviously other things that happen. So okay. if you've, you know, broken your spine or back, you know, I don't know how to say it. Mm-hmm. Then obviously you're going to need physical therapy and a bunch of other things. But you've also got to believe that you can do it. And that's really what this film speaks to. It might seem woo-woo at first if you're not familiar with the language and mm-hmm. the practices that are featured in here. But it obviously works for some people. Healing from the mind out helps. Okay, so it's really speaking to the power of positive thinking. Yeah, and you know, they have a chart. They're like, 
you really need you know good nutrition so vitamin supplements you need to be very great you practice gratitude you've got mm-hmm. to practice meditation blah blah you know by this age and through my journey of life like i'm aware of all these things that i have to do mm-hmm. and so it's always good to see it in practice and that's what they do they follow i think about three or four people okay in their journey and one doesn't quite heal entirely from it and that's okay too okay well you recommend this yeah especially if you're into the secret law of attraction abraham hicks that kind of stuff uh-huh. then this is the film for you okay. i also learned about other alternative therapies that i didn't know existed before so if you're into that too this is probably a good movie for you to watch and where can people find that on netflix all right and that is again heal what else did you watch in the past week oh my word i tried to go back to riverdale i got like one minute in <laughs> and i was like oh my god i cannot do this so I looked around some more and I instead binge watched Unbelievable on Netflix. It's a limited series based on the true story of Marie, a teenager who was charged with lying about being raped. And we get to follow two female detectives who uncover the truth about this case. I think that it's important for me to mention the cast because I loved just about all the women in this show. Mm-hmm. Caitlin Deaver is the girl from Booksmart. Mm-hmm. Tony Collette, you might know her from United States of Tara. Merritt Weaver, I mean, what do you know her from? Well, Merritt Weaver's been around for quite some time. Some people may know her as a supporting character in The Walking Dead. Okay. She was in Marriage Story last year. Oh, yes. She's the sister. Yeah. And then there's Dale Dickey, who I just adore. Mm-hmm. I mean, she's in Winter's Bone. Mm-hmm. She's a really good character actress. Yes, absolutely. She's in a lot of stuff. Yes. And then uh, someone else. I mean, if I didn't know about them before, I am now fans of theirs. Oh, cool. Okay. So this show is fantastic because what it does is even though it's based on a true story and all the victims are, you know, certain levels of truth to it, there are things that we get to learn about from this show. We get to learn about what it's like when there isn't evidence to go off of, how quickly detectives turn on their victims, possibly Mm. not all detectives, obviously. It shows us the difference between a very compassionate, understanding detective versus someone who is, is not, for lack of a better term. There is a significant difference between episode one and episode two. Because we're getting two different vi- two different victims, and we're getting two different detectives. If anything, what I took from this was that every man needs to watch this. Every man that cares about women and women's rights and issues. Because it'll give them an idea of why women are the way they are due to the society that we're in. I.e. being worried that they're not going to be believed and this fear of of this crime being committed to them. I found it very educational because should this ever happen to me or someone I love, I will be able to identify whether the people who are trying to help me or claim to be trying to help me actually have my best interests at hand. So I highly recommend this show. In fact, I would love to watch it with you and then talk with you about it afterwards. Yeah, this isn't as extreme as Handmaid's Tale, where I'm like, no, you need to watch that by yourself. Oh, okay. But this is a very informative TV show. And Toni Collette and Merritt Weaver are absolute heroines when it comes to how people who have been raped need to be treated. You know, you can definitely learn something from them. And it's just, it's an amazing show. And more people need to see it. It's not, if you're worried about it being difficult to get through, I completely hear you. They try not to focus on that too much. And instead try to make the focus the system supporting or not supporting victims. What don't they focus on? The act of rape itself. The actual crime. The actual crime. Okay. They try not to harp on and on about it. Okay. Okay. Very cool. And once again, that is Unbelievable on Netflix. Is that right? 
Yes. Okay. Cool. Uh, I've heard uh, consistently good things about it. So just a matter of whether or not it's the kind of thing for me. You're you're more into the crime stories and things happening to women than I am. But that's why I'm saying it's a good one to watch with you. Okay. Because it's not like something like Criminal Minds where every episode it's going to start with someone being horribly treated. Yeah. By a serial person. Uh-huh. In this, we get the idea, okay, she got raped. Uh, this is what it looked like through her eyes. Okay, we're moving on now. Very good. Okay. All right, right on. So for my week in review, I saw a couple things as well. In continuing with my DC movie education or re-education i re-watched all-star superman which is a movie that came out i want to say at the beginning of the decade roughly like 2011 ish it's of course based on of course i say of course as everybody knows <laughs> comic fans know but it's based on grant morrison and frank quietly's limited series i think it was just like i don't know six to ten issues long uh, about Superman and kind of taking a new, bring a fresh take to some, some of the old iconography of the Golden and, and Silver Age Superman, essentially. This film basically adapts that, and it's it's a fairly well-liked film, uh, an adaptation, except by me. I remember thinking it was okay. From my first viewing of it. And now coming back to it. I thought. Pretty much the same thing. The animation's Quite lovely. It's got a great animation style. No issues there. But the biggest problem is. I have a few. One it's very dull. It's very laconic. In it's pacing. In it's mannerisms. In it's storytelling. Uh, it just it doesn't it's not as engaging as every other animated movie in us uh, in DC's oeuvre let's say uh, the the voices I did not like any of the voices except Christina Hendricks as Lois Lane Christina Hendricks many would know from Mad Men of course she was one of the best Lois Lanes I've ever heard but I was not a fan of any of the other voices in in that film i'm trying to see right now who played who in that one anthony lapalia played lex luther um but i just was not impressed with it and then also it feels very episodic because it's basically adapting this short series which as i remember from reading it like i don't know a long ass time ago I don't. I don't think it was a continuing story. I think it was a fairly issue by issue, episodic kind of thing, where they they do something different in every issue, and 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 this movie's trying to adapt all of that, and it really kind of makes this thing feel very episodic. Like one, well, Superman's doing this now. Superman's doing that now. There's Kryptonians, and now there's not. And now it's Lex Luthor doing a thing, and now it's not. It's just kind of. And now there's this giant creature. It was kind of one thing after another, and it just didn't—it didn't feel overall very strong. And out of the two or three dozen animated films I've been watching, it's one of the worst ones I saw. Well, it sounds like it's pretty painful the way you're describing it. Yeah, I don't—I don't think I fully understand. There's people who claim it's one of the best superman movies ever made if not the best superman movie ever made and all these kinds of things and i'm like i just don't get that so all-star superman i give that a five out of ten primarily because of the animation style and christina Hendricks' uh, vocal performance so (laughs) continuing this the star quality of content this is not a dc thing this is a marvel thing i finally finished Marvel's Inhumans, which is available on Disney Plus. This is the series that was on ABC 
and did not last very long. It actually only lasted eight episodes. I think it was it was actually a full season, but it was like quickly canceled. It just did not get ratings that it needed to. People found it laughably bad. It stars. It's basically, in case you're not familiar, it kind of is about these more obscure group of characters in the Marvel universe. It's about an isolated community of superhumans from the, who live on the moon, by the way. They find themselves in a position where they have to fight to protect themselves. And they get uh, kind of marooned in on Earth. It stars, and in case you're familiar with any of these people, Anson Mount, Serenda Swan, Ken Lun, Isabel Cornish, and Ewan Rion who many people would know from Game of Thrones as the the dastardly bastard of, uh, what was he, uh, Bolton? Oh, God, that piece of shit. Yeah, that guy. Okay. And Henry Ian Cusick from Lost. You know, even around, he, he does not play uh, against type here. He is anything but cuddly. He is... I don't think you can come back from that character in Game of Thrones. It's, it's very unfortunate because here's the thing. The TV series is not good. Right? Mm. By current standards. If this came out in the 90s, I think people would be much more charitable to its quality. Mm-hmm. You know, because I just think that the bar has been raised so high with superhero shows this past decade. You know, I mean, even Smallville, you know, to, to almost 20 years ago, raised the bar quite a bit above mm. in humans. That was a pretty here, good show. Right? And it had its issues, but. I mean, this is a show where, like, the CGI is often questionable. The dialogue's often questionable. You know, the, especially those two things, you know. And you're not entirely sure that the writing is sound either, you know. But I found it, like, I found it likable, if that makes sense. Like, I wasn't, it wasn't so awful. I was like, oh, I'm, I'm, I give up on this thing. I just, like, I don't know if it's the cast. I don't know if it's a, it's a Marvel thing or what. But I wanted to kind of see it through. And it's just unfortunate that the whole thing wasn't that great because, you know, it had potential. You could see the potential there as as you're watching it. But as Joe Pesci said in The Irishman, it's what it is. Okay. So um, that's the Inhumans. For many of you, it might not be terribly uh, surprised to hear me report that it's, it's not very good. But I do think that, you know, if you're a fan of the Marvel shows or any superhero shows or if you're a fan of the inhumans lower your expectations and give it a go on disney plus see what you think and you know maybe you can also kind of mourn the lost potential that was there now shannon we have a few things in our weekend review that we have seen first of all you and i watched harriet yes now, this is a movie... First of all, let me set it up. Cynthia Revo plays Harriet Tubman. It's about Harriet Tubman. The first movie I can never think of that's about Harriet Tubman that tells her story. Very unfortunate that it's taken this long. More Americans should know more about her. They only know the cliff notes. She helped free saves. That's it. The story is definitely about that. Now, I wish we had more time to really get into it, you and I. I wish we hadn't seen so much stuff. But because you and I have very different perspectives of this movie. Do you want to share your perspective? And then I'll, I will No, share why don't you go first? Oh, okay. And then I can end the... I can get the last word this time. <laughs> you can because, pummel me into because, submission. <laughs> because when we discussed this by ourselves, you got the last word. And okay. so now it is my turn. All right, fair enough. As you, <laughs> as you wish. If that is important to you, you can have it. No, I'm kidding. Stop it. <laughs> I'm <totally laughs> I'm totally kidding. I'm totally kidding. Don't hit me. I this movie has a reputation of being okay, and I was, you know, I was hoping it would be more than okay because the story deserves something that's more than okay. But I did find it to be simply okay. I feel like the material is more interested in posturing, is more interested in kind of glossing over decades of her life more or less uh at least a decade of her life in particular i don't i don't think you see much um of her in her old age at all 
But I, I feel like it wants to go kind of quickly through this. I don't think it necessarily wants to really sell the stakes that are of the situation. And I say that because there are scenes where rather than really like keeping the audience within the tension of what the actual situation is, which is a bunch of slaves escaping a plantation, a slave owner, you know, five, six people, very noticeable to go missing. They want to pause to have dialogue in between them. They want Harriet to, to preach. They want Harriet to have these long monologues that are, you know, very strong and empowering and shut the fuck up. And, you, <laughs> you know, if you're not going to listen to me kind of thing. And so I found that quite disappointing. And as a result, I didn't think the material was up to snuff with Cynthia Revo's talent. I feel like the material was too standard, was very standard. What you might expect from this kind of a movie. And, you know, for me, having watched 12 Years a Slave, rewatched 12 Years a Slave recently, you know, it's like night and day in terms of like what the actual experience is and 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 I'm not saying that I really wanted this movie to revel in the horrors of slavery per se but it it doesn't do a good enough job of selling the stakes in each scene yes we know that they are owned by people and that they're going to be captured but I don't know it, it just kind of stays kind of safe and superficial about it so I was fairly disappointed, and my rating for the movie kept going down every half hour as I got through the film. Uh, so I give Harriet a 5 out of 10. But I can't not recommend it. Here's the other thing. I can't not recommend it because Harriet Tubman's story is important enough that it needs to be seen. And there was one other thing that about it that like made me feel like I have to recommend this movie people see it and maybe when you're talking i'll remember what that is but at the very least like the story needs to be learned and so i recommend it just on that level alone did you learn about harriet tubman at all during your school life just the cursory stuff which this movie mostly shows okay no i i like there's certain things that this movie shows that i didn't know you know, but basically yeah. the only thing that we learn is Harriet Tubman was this woman who don't helped say in, it in a tone. Underground Railroad and and she saved slaves. But we don't know we don't learn a lot about her as a person. We don't learn a lot about what motivated her to do it in the first place and and what happened or when. Like I we probably learned dates, but I don't remember dates too okay. well. So that's what happened in school. All right. Yeah. In school for me living in South Africa, we obviously did not hear about Harriet Tubman. So I did not know who she was. Now, you know, we're kind of living in this age, especially over the last five years or so, where all the women, all the heroines that have ever existed are getting more and more talked about. So I'm super excited that, you know, something like that book, Rebel Girls, features heroines around the world. Okay. And one that they feature is like Harriet Tubman. So that is my exposure to this real life hero. Mm -hmm. So I was very excited about this movie because guess what? I learn way better when it's in the form of a movie. As Alan Rickman once said, doesn't really exist if it's not in a movie, does it? <laughs> Sure. Sure, we can go with that because oh, there's shame. a wrinkle of truth in that. Um, so here we go. I love this movie. I thought Cynthia's performance was perfect. I don't know Harriet Tubman. I never met her. I don't think there's any video footage out there of Harriet. The only documentation of who she was as a person is people writing about her, interviewing her. Wikipedia, you know, is my source of information, you know, as an intro to any mm. real life here. Mm. And what I got from this movie 
is that Cynthia worked very hard on this role to not overact it. And I know that you oh, feel... Wow. Let's shut up, hey? Okay. So I know that you feel like, hey, she monologued. But that doesn't really matter, does it? Because what, what the trailer doesn't show you and what you won't know unless you've read about her is that she had a very strong connection with the god that she worshipped. That's what so, it was. That's, you just, that's exactly a very important element. That's one of the reasons why I, I recommend it too. Yes, it is. Okay. But let me explain just really quickly. Because what this movie does is it actually makes a non-secular story a story about faith, a faith-based story, in this mainstream story. And I actually, on that level, think that's actually really kind of cool. Okay. I, I appreciate it on that level, too. Yeah. And it wasn't preachy. It was just, it was very matter-of-fact. It was like, this is the, the being I worship. This is who I have a connection with. Right. And because I am one with this being, I am able to navigate and motivate and inspire through my intuitive knowledge which we all know at a certain point in our lives that that is definitely a superpower that women have whether they know they have it or not so i really appreciated them showing that connection and also showing faith during slave times in a different way We've seen movies about slaves where we see them worship a lot in this very powerful way. We've seen movies about slaves and slavery where they are tortured and suffering and just a disgusting, shameful part of humanity, uh, lack of humanity, should I say. And I appreciated this film because it showed how she got through it and how she got, I think, 700, uh, a total of like 700 or something people out of this life. And that is nice to have. And so when you say, oh, they didn't show the stakes enough, I'm glad they didn't. I didn't say show. I, I said like, sell the stakes. Sell. Whatever you'd like. There's a difference. I appreciated that they focused on her ability to stay focused because... Except when she had to pause to talk to someone and tell um, them how righteous she is. Well, maybe you can stop interrupting. Sorry. She was able to stay focused. Her focus was to get them out of there. And if that meant talking to them and trying to undo habits that they were born into, because, of course, it's going to be... Of course, uh, you know, they're going to have pause and not want to leave because it could mean death. I'm glad that they did that. Okay. All right. So what would you rate the movie? I would rate it a seven. All right. Because a couple things would have been good to have added as layers. Mm -hmm. And we didn't get there. It's, it's the first Harriet Tubman movie. And I'm pretty sure it's not going to be the last. Okay. Well, we have to move on because we still have a lot to do and we're running behind. The next movie we saw was 1917, the Best Picture nominee, directed by Sam Mendes. Definitely focused on two English soldiers who are on their own to carry out a mission that is very personal to one of them. Shanna, what did you think of 1917? Well, I think it's okay to say it because they do say it in the trailer. Say what? They say that your brother is on that side. And you need to stop them from going into the war zone, into battle, or your brother will die Yeah, if you don't get there. You're talking about the actual, what the mission is. Yeah. Yes, there is a trap set by the Germans that a, a, a battalion is about to go into. Yeah. You're not a fan of war films, but you watched this one. And so share with us what your thoughts were about it. And is it any different than any other war film that you typically avoid? I'm not into war films. I'm not into films about slavery. I'm just not into films about the worst of humanity. Sometimes if a film of those categories is doing really well, 
or has something very special about it in the way that they've depicted that time in history, I will watch it. In this case, the reason I decided I would try to be okay with watching this film is because of the cinematography direction that they took. Making it appear that they never leave the these soldiers' side. Mm-hmm. And it's an achievement cinematography-wise because they had to make sure that their lighting was consistent. And at nighttime, sure, that's fine because you can artificially light them up. But during the daylight, what we learn, if any of you were able to go to the cinema and see the behind the scenes, what we learn is they would have to wait for cloud cover so that things would appear consistent, so that it would all seem one, seem like one take. Mm-hmm. And they did really well with that. And I believe that they got the cinematography Oscar. Well, we'll talk about the Oscars in a minute. So I feel like they really achieved what they set out to do. Mm-hmm. I think it's a technical achievement. And the story wasn't bad either. The story was really good. Mm-hmm. It was subtle. It wasn't too crazy. It's not like you're watching um, Saving Private Ryan where... Uh, is that D-Day? Have you seen that? that yeah. Okay, yeah. It starts with D-Day. So yeah. that it's not that kind of war film. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, I th- thought that the film was a very fine film. Uh, obviously, the notion that it is a all a single shot that's being kind of passed out around out there is is incorrect. It isn't. Apparently, the longest shot is three minutes, some uh, somewhat seconds. Yeah, we had someone sitting behind us that was like, "All in one take," and the two yeah, of us yeah. kind of had to be. You know, our son watched it with us, and he was like, is that true? And we're like, no. no right. it's not true. Uh, but it is out there, and it's good to correct that, just in case. Uh, and, you know, your miles may vary in terms of how that affects your opinion of the film. I do think that it is one of the best films of last year. It would is one of the only movies that I had to catch up with post Best and Worst of 2019 article, or Best of the Year article, that I actually would have included in my list. It is definitely among the five best films of, of the year. The leads really sell it, and I think that there is a certain degree of urgency with this construct of this mission and this time frame that you have. And the way it's shot, it does kind of help you invest you in that, that closing window of time. So, yeah, I think it's it didn't necessarily blow my mind, but, I, you know, there was a lot of really impressive stuff in it and really great stuff in it. And uh, so I think it is deserving of a lot of the adoration that it has received. Uh, I probably would give the film, I don't know, maybe a 7 out of 10. How about you? Yeah, I think that's good. Yeah? I yeah. would do the same. All right, very good. So that's our thoughts on 1917, brief as it is. Next... You alluded to it, Shanna. Let's get to it. The Oscars happened the night before this recording. Were you disappointed with uh, any of the results? What's, you know, we talked a little bit about what we thought might happen. To what degree were you generally satisfied with the results? I think I was half and half. Mm-hmm. Like half I was pleased about and half I was not. I am, of course, ecstatic that Parasite went away with so much. I do so love Bong Joho's speeches, my favorite moment, and I have very few favorite moments at the awards, is, I think it was their first one they got, so screenwriting or adapted screen. Yeah. And, you know, he let, he speaks first, and then he lets his, his other co-worker uh, speak, and while he's speaking... <laughs> You see him look at his Oscar, give a little nod and a smile. And mm-hmm. it's like this, and it's just, it's so wonderful and hopeful. And so I really appreciated that, mm-hmm. being able to see that little moment that he had. And to clarify, Parasite did win four awards. And big ones, too. Yes, Best International Picture, Best Picture, Best Director, and Best Adapted Screenplay. Yeah. I was pleased that Jojo Rabbit got an award for 
That's adapted screenplay. Oh, uh, yeah. my bad. I'm so, sorry. Then Parasite won Best yes. Original Screenplay. So uh, Jojo Rabbit with adapted screenplay. That was exciting. It was good writing. It was, you know, they did a lot of good things in there. You know, I think I expressed in the previous episode that I was upset that certain actresses did not get recognition. And directors. Um, and directors. And I still feel that way. Anyway, I was either horribly disappointed by a win or I was wonderfully happy. So it was kind of this contrast. I honestly was pretty pleased with most of the wins. Honestly, there's only like two or three that I was a little disappointed, but I did not think that Parasite had a shot at winning Best Picture, even though <laughs> it had won uh, over 120 awards already. It was very off, very clearly the consensus pick for the best movie of the year. I just thought that the likelihood of a foreign film winning Best Picture was a long shot and never happened before. So I was delighted that it happened again. I really felt also that either Marriage Story or Parasite were the films most deserving of the Best Picture win. I'm disappointed that Marriage Story didn't win more awards, particularly for Scarlett Johansson especially. I think like what's great about that that film is aside from the film itself, the direction and the acting. Yet, I didn't think that Laura Dern provided as good a performance as, say, Florence Pugh in Little Women. So that was one of the few that I was a little disappointed in. And not, like, I love Laura Dern. I love seeing her. Yeah. But, like you said, Florence Pugh had a much better performance. Yeah, I didn't think it was one of Laura Dern's best absolute best performances overall so i was like eh. uh and toy story 4 winning best animated picture of course i've already aired my grievances with toy story 4 on this podcast so you can imagine my disappointment that it won over things like i lost my body which is a film that we saw also cramming before the oscars how to train your dragon 3 either of those i would have been happier to have seen win yeah. over Toy Story 4. But oh, on the whole, I was actually pretty pleased. It was like almost night and day between last year and this year for Oscar wins. Um, of course, Green Book won last year Best Picture, in case you do not remember. So, and as far as the awards show itself, um, while I do feel like there's some really, there's some fatty elements to it that probably added about 10 to 15 minutes of unnecessary bits or uh, performances overall. Uh, I thought that there was a lot of good stuff that happened, like Janelle Monae's opening number. That was fantastic. And did you see that they did show appreciation for us? In yes. the background, they had people wearing the, the red suits. And Midsommar, too. Yes. Which is very interesting and kind of cool. Any other thoughts you want to share on the Oscars? I also wanted to say I was very pleased that the first female composer in 20 years went away with the Oscar for her work on Joker. I think her name is Hilda. Hilda. We're going to look it not up. Not Goodman's so daughter, but something similar to that. No, it's very, it's, it's, very a, it's Icelandic. Oh, okay. Sorry. My mistake. I, I could be wrong, but it seemed like an Icelandic. Oh, okay. There's no way I'm going to be able to pronounce it. I'm trying to see the print from here. Uh, from what I can see, it's gone on a tour. Um, unless it's a type, unless it's typoed at any rate. Yes, and she provided a great score to Joker. And I have been listening to it by itself, so uh, the score to Joker, and Mm. she is wonderful. Yes, absolutely. Hey, apparently only two years younger than me. Fantastic. All right, we need to move on to the final thing, which is DC Animated Movies. There's a couple animated movies that we want to provide very brief thoughts on. First of all, we saw Justice League Crisis on Two Earths, which is about... The multiverse. And we learn that there is another Earth with kind of the hero archetypes that we know of Justice League, only they're villains. One of which is, what was his name? The Owl or Owl Man or something like that. And he's voiced by James Woods. And then you have... It's like something out of, like if the Watchmen and Batman had a baby. This is what it would look like. I guess. And then you have, I think it's Superman voiced by William Baldwin, if I'm not mistaken. And a whole other other cast in this, of course, these people kind of threaten the existence of all the other Earths, which there are thousands or millions, dozens of thousands of. <laughs> what did you think of Crisis on Two Earths, Shanna? It was a fun idea. 
uh, I liked it, but I didn't like it enough to like want to watch it again and again and again. Mm, okay. So we'll probably watch it again with Logan when he's older. You know, some someday. Yeah. One thing that is worth noting is these uh, animated films are so mature, and I really appreciate that about DC making, you know, kind of raising the bar. And you know, these movies are not really for kids, and I think that is surprising for some, but really cool in a way because they're upping the the level here you know and so crisis on two Earths is not entirely different in that regard i liked crisis on two Earths fine it was it was one of the more interesting stories so i understand why it's pretty well received and pretty well praised and it has some really interesting stuff with owlman and james woods so it's definitely worth checking out i i'd probably give that one a seven out of ten uh how about you I think I'd go down to a six. Okay. I think what I battled with in this, I think it's this one I battled with the way the characters were animated. Yes, you did. Yes, that's right. Because this is where, oh, no, wait. That's actually Flashpoint Paradox. Oh, okay. I had more of an issue with Flashpoint Paradox. Shall we talk about that next? Yes, Justice League Flashpoint Paradox is the next one. This is the one that's um, more focused on Flash. It is based on the story by Jeff Johns called... um, Flashpoint, and basically it it's the story that in comic lore set off the New 52, which was a hard reset on all the DC continuities and, and uh, stories. It kind of is the thing that did that with the movies, because after Flashpoint Paradox came what they call the DC animated movie universe which is where Justice League War came in and everything after that. So everything since 2014 has followed since Flashpoint Paradox. Very strong film. It's really refreshing to have Flash be the focus, I feel. And it gets really dark because there's this alternate timeline that's created where time gets changed and there's just ripple effects every single character you know and love is changed and uh, some are really bad some bad guys are really good so it was really really kind of cool i thought it was a really visceral experience i thought the stakes were really high it's some really great stuff in flashpoint paradox i appreciated i gave i give that one an eight out of ten and you i had a very hard time with this film especially because of how characters were animated it didn't feel true to the characters i did not like how it was played with however the concept of how a moment can have a ripple effect is always a favorite of mine mm-hmm. and i enjoyed how they played with that but i was i i had a very hard time moving past the animation mm-hmm. and uh voice acting and what would you score it a four don't wow. don't mess with the line work and don't mess with the voice actors. That's rough. That is rough. Uh, and then we had Batman Beyond: The Return of the Joker. I had seen this before a long time ago. Remember it being pretty darn good. Rewatched it with you, Shanna. Uh, a very unique and interesting story, uh, and it works for me. I liked it quite a bit. You have to kind of be able to suspend your disbelief with the reveal, the third act reveal, what's going on. But uh, it's, it's also kind of dark and edgy. It was one of the first movies, I think. This one in the Timverse, what's well, called the Timverse, which is the original DC animated universe that exists in the Batman animated series, Superman animated series, Justice League, Justice League Unlimited, and Batman Beyond. All of that is in this universe, created by Bruce Tim. It, it was the first one that really kind of took things and made things a little edgier, a little... You know, it walks that line where it's silly enough where if someone gets hit off of a hero, you know, they'll spin on a pole. But it's um, serious enough that, like, characters might die brutally. Mm-hmm. So uh, They don't shy away from it. Yeah, and I really kind of appreciated that and think that's kind of cool. And Mark Hamill, of course, comes back as the Joker, and he's always fantastic. Oh, God, he's the best. Return it's the- so hard to believe that one with the Force Boy has a dark side and the dark side is joker that's funny <laughs> yeah so i like that one quite a bit what did you think of batman beyond return of the joker i enjoyed it i you know it, it was it was very interesting 
it had very interesting ideas kind of like leftovers of joker henchmen like the next generation of joker henchmen you know and that was super interesting you know it's it's always good when they get consistent with crime will always exist and there will be always be the henchmen and there will always be the heroes so you know that was fun that was interesting we should also have like a rate the joker performance <laughs> and well, I'll this one was this one was pretty good i would i would maybe put this you know number 3 out of the animated uh movies uh, i would feel like it was really good you know it was a new level of crazy all right so really quickly wrapping up the whole dc animated thing my followers on Instagram voted on their favorites of uh, who portrayed, portrayed certain characters in all these animated stories. And I want to go through really quickly some of them, just the ones that you have seen. Who do you think played the best Lois Lane? Dana Delaney from the Superman animated series in Justice League and Unlimited, and she was in Flashpoint Paradox. Kira Sedgwick in The New Frontier. Which of those two do you think plays the best Lois Lane? I love Kira Sedgwick, but I think Dana Delaney was probably better. All right. And for Aquaman, do you like Scott Rummel from the Justice League and Justice League Unlimited? Did you see Throne of Atlantis with me? No. Okay. Or did you like Josh Keaton from Crisis on Two Earths or Carrie Elwes from Flashpoint? I did not like anyone's voice in Flashpoint. Okay. So not Carrie Elwes. So Josh Keaton or Scott Rummel? I think it'll be Scott. Okay. And for Lex Luthor, do you prefer Clancy Brown from Superman Original Series, Justice League, Justice League Unlimited? Or do you prefer, well, you clearly don't prefer Steve Bloom because you just said you didn't like any of the voices from Flashpoint Paradox. Uh, He was also Lex Luthor in Justice League vs. Teen Titans, by the way. Or do you prefer Chris Noth in Crisis on Two Earths? I think I like Clancy Brown better. Yeah. Although, I, who did Crisis on Two Earths? Chris Noth. He was pretty good, too. Yeah, I, I, I love Clancy Brown as well. Flash, do you prefer Christopher Gorham in most of the recent animated movies, uh, like Justice League versus uh, Teen Titans? Is he in Frontier? No. Who is the Frontier I'll one? I'll get to him. Michael Rosenbaum. he's my favorite. Okay, Michael Rosenbaum played the Flash in Justice League's uh, cartoon series in Justice League Unlimited. And Neil Patrick Harris played The Flash in The New Frontier. I, I liked him like that, yeah. Very cool. Green Lantern, Nathan Fillion played him in The Flashpoint Paradox. Phil Lamar plays Jon Stewart, the Green Lantern, in Justice League and Justice League Unlimited. Which do you prefer, Nathan Fillion or Phil Lamar? Definitely Nathan Fillion. Yeah, I agree too. Wonder Woman, Susan Eisenberg, who originated the character in Justice League uh, animated series. Or Rosario Dawson, who's played Wonder Woman most recently in Justice League vs. Teen Titans and Wonder Woman Bloodlines. You heard Vanessa Marshall play Wonder Woman in Crisis on Two Earths and Flashpoint Paradox. Lucy Lawless played her in The New Frontier. Carrie Russell in Wonder Woman and Michelle Monaghan in War. Lucy Lawless is fine, but Carrie Russell is always going to be my number one. Carrie Russell's voice is just stunning. Carrie Russell doesn't look like a Wonder Woman. But man, she sounds like how Wonder Woman would be. All right. I myself prefer Susan Eisenberg, the original. Uh, Superman. Tim Daly from Superman Original Series. George Newbern, who took over in Justice League and Justice League Unlimited. Jerry O'Connell, who played Superman in Justice League versus the Teen Titans. Kyle McLaughlin played Superman in New Frontier. Mark Harmon from those crime shows. He played uh, Superman in Crisis on Two Earths. Mark Valley played Superman in Dark Knight Returns. Sam Daly in Flashpoint Paradox. And Alan Tudyk in War. How about in um, The Dark Knight Returns? Who did that? Mark Valley. He's great. Oh, I myself prefer Tim. Mm. Though I'm getting used to Jerry O'Connell as Superman of late. Catwoman, do you prefer Adrian Barbeau from the animated series of Batman or Tress McNeil from Dark Knight Returns? Animated series. Yeah, me too. Adrian Barbeau all the way. Harley Quinn, do you prefer Harleen, Arlene Storkin, who originated oh, the that's voice? that's funny. 
and she was in Batman Beyond Return of the Joker or Jenny Slate from the Lego Batman movie. So Arlene Sorkin or Jenny Slate? I think it's always going to be Arlene Sorkin. I think most of the time if you sh- if you say to me this person from Batman the animated series, mm-hmm. it's going to be that because yeah. that that show was just so on point with their voice actors. Just amazing work, amazing animation storyline and performances agree 100 percent. so i think i know your answer for joker oh, mark hamill yes or michael emerson from dark knight returns or zach galifianakis from the lego batman movie just for funsies to throw him in just there. for funsies even yeah. you just want to drop names yeah. <laughs> of course it's mark hamill i mean 100 yeah, it's it's such a delicious performance and it's even sweeter when you realize who it is that's doing the voice and you're like wow is this like a is this to like balance the acting Mm -hmm. muscles you know having a really dark side character compared to his light side in star wars commissioner gordon there's bob hastings from batman animated series and superman animated series and mask of the phantasm or gary cole in under the red hood it's gonna be bob hastings i agree too yeah uh, only a couple more. For Alfred Pennyworth, Ephraim Zimbalist Jr. For Batman Animated Series, Mask of the Phantasm, Superman Animated Series, and Justice League. Or do you prefer Jim Piddock from Under the Red Hood? Nope. Nope. <sighs> Definitely Ephraim. Very cool. Me too. Yeah. And you could totally tell that he was back for mask of the phantasm yeah absolutely yeah, and lastly of course batman do you prefer kevin conroy the original yes. animated one yes or do you prefer will arnett from the lego okay series? i do get a kick out of will arnett yeah I, I think he does a great job with the material or bruce greenwood from under the red hood or jeremy sisto from the new frontier peter weller from Dark Knight Returns. Oh, it was Batman that William Baldwin played on Crisis on Two Earths. Which Batman do you prefer? Kevin Conroy, all, all the way. I agree. By the way, I, William Baldwin was one of the weakest points of Crisis on Two Earths for me, so I was not a fan of that. Yeah, if you can't get your Batman voice right or your Joker voice right, yeah, then you're fucked. <laughs> Agreed. All right, so uh, for more on the animated DC movies, check out the Gibson Review on that. And lastly, for our Week in Review, we have one more DC property to cover that we have discovered. It is one of our favorite discoveries of late. It is Harley Quinn, the animated series on DC Universe, the streaming subscription service shanna do you want to introduce what this show is about and share your thoughts on the show sure so this is a fantastic show totally dark comedy adults only no children please i don't think i'd even give this to a 16 year old i don't know it's it's a fun little thing for us, you know? Mm-hmm. And this is all about Harlequin realizing that the Joker doesn't love her. He's only in love with Batman <laughs> and how to get over that. So And they break up. They break up. Mm-hmm. She moves in with Poison Ivy. Poison Ivy recognizes her toxic relationship behavior and tries to help mm-hmm. and essentially becomes her best friend. And... Poison Ivy's always looking out for Harley, and that's really cool. And Harley still wants to be accepted and get into the... Legion of Doom. Legion of Doom. She wants to be accepted by the villain She wants to be respected, I guess. And so she's battling with that. And there's only one Legion of Doom, so it's not like she can go join one that the Joker isn't in. Right. So, right, I, right. you know, it's it's a real-life problem, you know, totally relatable. Yeah. And uh, she's trying to stand on her own. With her own, uh, and, uh, what, goons or whatever? Yeah, she has her own. Crew. She calls it her she crew. She has her own crew that she promises to protect and, right. you know. And which Poison Ivy is adamant she's not a part of. She's, a, she's just... She's, Supporting at a distance. She's an activist. <laughs> She's right, not yeah. a villain. Right, yeah. So I love that distinction that she keeps having, you know. So we're not only learning more about Hardy and her trying to 
be better at relationships mm-hmm. that are not toxic. But we also get to see what Ivy is like and how she has a very strong belief system. And it's kind of cool that she became who she is, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah. She's not really a villain. She's like she's like the real life villain, you know, the activist that's yeah. trying to protect the eco terrorist. Yeah. yeah. So who uh, who stars in this? Who plays what? Because there's a lot of fun characters and voices in this. My God, it is it is so fun. First of all, this is like Batman the animated series where they care in this show. They care about the performances. They care about the quality. Everyone is on point, and I just love it. So our Harley is played by Kaylee Kuko. Kuoko. Kuoko. From Big Bang Theory. Yes. And it's like, no fucking way. (laughs) By the way, the second cast member of Big Bang Theory to play Harley Quinn, uh, Melissa Rauch played Harley Quinn in Harley Quinn and Batman, the the animated movie. Oh, really? Yeah. That is freaking cool. Yeah. And then we've got Lake Bell who is Poison Ivy, and she is from... In a world. Thank you. We've got Alan Tudyk as Clayface. So think... Oh, he plays Clayface also? Yeah, so there's a bunch there. He plays Oh, Joker. and Joker, even. Yeah, yeah. So think Mr. Pricklepants from Toy Story 3. <laughs> and if you had Mr. Pricklepants in an adult show, this Clayface is him. Because Clayface is this wonderful thespian. Yeah. And he can be anyone he wants to be because of his clay ability. Right. And so just... Really wonderful, you know, traditional theater Shakespearean, you know, foundation right. from him. And then we've got Jason Alexander as Cy, uh, who is Poison Ivy's landlord. Yes. And yes. Yes. from a different time, people. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, he yeah. says he's CIA, used yeah, to be CIA. I guess, yeah, I guess so. And so just any weird concept or I guess like yeah. weird theory that someone might have had about CIA Think this guy. Well, and also any weird concept you want as a plot point. Yeah. That's what he serves. Yeah. Then we've got Diedrich Bader as Bruce Wayne, a.k.a. Batman. Which, you know, he has a small part. He's in only Mm -hmm. a couple episodes here or there. But again, like when he is, it's great. Yeah, it's really Like he's there. He's even there to remind Harley he doesn't love you, Harley. (laughs) It's like, he loves me. He doesn't actually say that. (laughs) No, he doesn't. There we go. So we've got King Shark played by Ron. We think it's Funches or, or yeah, you know. it's fun. Cheers. Yeah. So this is Man Shark, you know. Essentially, and yeah. He is technologically with it. He can get your Facebook, your Instagram followers from eight to eighteen. <laughs> so which is hilarious, but and also he'll bite off your head. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's literally. He's, and again, it's like think Bruce from Finding Nemo. In an adult show. Yeah, fair. You know? Yeah. Uh, then we've got two more. We've got Tony Hale as Dr. Psycho. Yes, he's hilarious. And <laughs> Tony Hale is from a Veep for a lot of people. Oh, yes. Yep. Yes, that's hilarious that he yeah. he has this. This character is like the bad-mouthed, saying all the words he shouldn't say. Oh, he's yes. He's Wonder Woman's nemesis. Yep. You know, he 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 has he gets some bad press after doing something really bad. Really bad. And So bad <laughs> that the Legion of Doom says there's a line yeah, here, buddy. Yeah, like, we're cutting ties with you. <laughs> you no longer have a space here. Yeah. He is just great. Mm-hmm. Like, we all know someone like this. So I really like his character. I like that he gets better. You know, that's always great. And then we've got J.B. Smoove as Frank the Plant. Yeah. And Frank the Plant is just hilarious, you know. He's essentially like Audrey 2. Imagine Audrey 2. Yes. As Poison Ivy's best friend, essentially. Yeah. Like, and, you know, someone who's not afraid to be sassy with Poison Ivy, you know, and, or any of the other characters and tell them what it is. Tell yeah. them straight. Just a wonderful set of characters, Mm -hmm. excellent talents coming together. I love this show so much. We're on episode 10, I believe, and I've started watching it again because it's hilarious. There's just, it reminds me of the Venture Brothers. Oh, I'm not familiar with them. Just really strange, like animation for adults, you know, with strange, funny adult humor. I totally agree. First of all, I want to give quick shout outs to two other cast members uh, that you do hear from. First of all, James 
Adamain, Adamian, I should say, as yes. Bane. I'm going is to blow this podcast up. Hilarious. He's definitely a play on Tom Hardy's vocalization of Bane. And it is almost like Batman. What was it? The Dark Knight Rises. It's almost like that movie exists in the universe of this cartoon because they totally <laughs> re- reference and refer to the fact that Bane likes to blow up really big places like sports arenas and stuff. <laughs> and he'll blow up anything that upsets him too yeah. or want to. I'm going to blow up this smoothie bar. Yes, a smoothie bar. Yeah. Yes, exactly. There's a whole plot point about a smoothie bar. <laughs> He's brilliant and hilarious. Giancarlo Esposito from Breaking Bad plays Lex Luthor, and he's also awesome. And then there's one episode with Wayne Knight as the Penguin, Oswald Cobblepot. It is just brilliant casting. When I so, love Mrs. Cobblepot too. Oh, um, <laughs> yeah. That that whole episode with with like a bar mitzvah yes. coming out, you know, yes, uh, coming into manhood episode is just hilarious. It is. It is. Uh, you know, this mo- the show is. You'll know within the first two minutes. Yeah. How adult this show is. And you're either on board within the first two minutes of the show or you're not. You're either in or you're out. You know exactly what you're getting. You know, we talked actually in a recent episode about how we usually give like a four episode try with shows because usually you, you know, you got to get into it and before you really know what a show's like. No, this show, five minutes, you know what the show is like, and you're either on board or you're not. You were already, like, before we even finished the first episode, you're like, I love this show, (laughs) you know? This, this, this for me is an instant, I, I knew I loved you the second I put you on kind of thing. Yeah. You know, I fell in love with the show immediately. I mean, you know, there's just things that they talk about, like Harley says, oh, Catwoman, no, Poison Ivy is like... Catwoman told me that Batman doesn't want to commit or something like that, you know, and you, you've got Commissioner Gordon playing with the the Batlight. Yeah, he's As, a really strung out, stressed He's a realistic depiction of a commissioner in this kind of world. Played by Chris Maloney, who I think may have actually played another character in the DC movies, or at least one DC movie at one point. Uh, so... And Vanessa Marshall, she only has like one episode, but she's played like Wonder one Woman yeah. in one, in a couple of movies, as I mentioned before. She plays Wonder yeah. Woman in this show as well. When I like the intricateness of how how the Legion of Doom is. Yes, they're a surf. They're like an ultimate club but then they have like this network of services you need henchmen go see these guys like departments it's like a little organization you need representation for saying that bad word go see this lawyer right you know it's just it's so fun because you would need that right yes so i just i just love this fucking show i it's it's been greenlit for another season which is apparently releasing in november of this year yeah uh we're two episodes or three episodes away from the final final by the time you hear this it's very possible that the final episode is released Uh, emerald city comic con is just a month away i'm hoping that i see a lot of artwork uh, that's harlequin focused and you know birds of prey great but i really hope it's got this focus on it because Mm. i just i love everyone and everything in the show i even love the joker yeah he's a, a pussy little boy and i'm like that is exactly who he would be in a relationship with a woman yes he is but i really don't want to see much of him in this show because no. the cast of characters that we have help particularly just harley quinn and poison ivy is so strong that they can carry the show all on their own with the occasional guest guest actor guest character i mean which by the way includes such people as nicole sullivan wanda sykes and jacob tremblay jacob tremblay for crying out loud makes an appearance in this show jim rash rhea perlman will sasso so many great Mm. just pop in guest stars howie mandel sauna lathan phil lamar even yeah i i honestly can't say enough about how awesome this show is if you are a fan of Mm-hmm. Like it's something that's very edgy, very extraordinarily clever and witty humor, but also vulgar and a little bit over <laughs> the top occasionally with the with the violence. Then this uh, this is your bag, man. And it's definitely female focused, so it's gonna be 
different to what you're used to. It's not going to be Venture Bros. It's like Venture Bros for women. You know, that's how I feel about it. Yeah, very cool. So we're huge fans of Harley Quinn on DC Universe. It's actually alone worth the $8 totally a month. Totally worth it. Hell, you could even do a trial and binge watch this uh, this show because it's only half hour episodes. And, and the last like episode is on the 21st of February. Okay. So you could get away with seeing if this is what you want. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and in Canada, it is actually available on another service. What was it? Adult Swim in Canada, too. So there you are. So Canada. could people watch this on cable? Uh, apparently in Canada, that's what I'm saying. Ah, yeah. okay. Well, that's really cool. Yeah. So there you go. Uh, so that finishes the week in review and this bonus episode for you definitely first of all check out the upcoming best dc animated movie post on the gibsonreview.com and the upcoming proper episode review of birds of prey and our favorite dc movies uh, coming up here uh, on tuesday what is going to be the tuesday on the tw- the 18th Shanna, until then, let them know where they can find you online. You can find me politely and kindly at Shanna underscore Paxton underscore photography on Instagram. There you go. One place, not <laughs> like you. <laughs> well, you like to give people options. Well, there's, you know, the main website, the GibsonReview.com, as I referenced, has some great articles and content on there. You also have the social media platforms, Facebook slash The Gibson Review, or Instagram, The Gibson 99. You'll find uh, Instagram stories on there. At a time of recording, Instagram stories are looking at your pick for the best DC animated movie. Pretty soon, it'll be your pick for your favorite DC movies on there, too. So I try to keep some fun, interactive stuff there. Also, of course, you can find this podcast on Stitcher, Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts. Subscribe. If there's a review option, please do that. Help other movie lovers find us. And find me on Flickchart on the Gibson 99. There is my handle. You can find me in my uh, 33,000, or not 33,000. I haven't seen 33,000 movies. 3,000 plus movies on there. All right. So, again... Proper episode, review of Birds of Prey will be coming out soon. Keep an eye out for that. Until then, keep loving the movies. This is Jeff and Shanna saying bye-bye.